NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delaney in live in Washington. They're also suggesting that Ukraine has biological and chemical weapons in Ukraine. That's a clear sign he's considering using both of those. Talking about that was based on declassified intelligence, but we're also told the intelligence wasn't very clear about what exactly was going on. And they decided to, to disclose it as a way of deterring uh, Russia from doing that and putting the world on notice. We've never seen this level of information warfare before from the U.S. government. Another example was when they announced that Russia had gone to China uh, to ask for help with, what, with getting some weapons. That hasn't come to pass yet. Yes. And it was One U.S. official telling you it doesn't even have to be solid intelligence when we talk about it. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up. have a, a fantastic interview lined up for you today. Somebody that I'm a big fan of that I used to go on his radio show quite often and that we haven't connected in a very long time and I'm very interested to get his takes on a lot of the crazy things going on in the world today. So thank you for joining me today. Independent journalist, Carla Nixon, how are you today? Hey, great, Ryan. Um, I'm doing wonderful and I'm honored that you would um, invite me on your show. I, I watch your stuff and I really enjoy the um the investigative journalism that you do particularly during covid i you know i picked up a lot of stuff and believe it or not you know i have a, a um you know a show in in dc and and in la and on um regular radio and i've i've gotten a lot of information from you and i've dug into a lot of the things that you've you have that and and i've used that for my show so you know That's i same. certainly appreciate the work that you do well, thank you. That means a lot to me. And I'm sure my audience will, will get a big thrill out of that because as they know, they're a huge part of our research, right? The, the open source investigation. So that means that they're helping you as well, man. So I love to hear that. And I love to see that kind of thing spreading because right now today, and that's kind of the focal point of like today, we're going to get into a lot of stuff because Garland, I haven't discussed, they haven't connected in a while. And I'd like to talk about Ukraine and COVID and pick his brain. But the title today, as you saw, was really about the, the rise of new media, the independent media. And as I was talking about Gar with Garland just before we started, this, this battle around objectivity. And we're seeing this take place around Ukraine, around COVID, around literally any topic today. But we, I personally saw a really sharp turn. Yeah, I mean, 2016 forward, but really COVID-19, we saw this really crazy turn where it, it, it's not even the pretense is gone. It's not even like we're, we're doing it for this reason. We're just saying, well, you're challenging the narrative. So now you're being censored. Actually, even Ukraine made that even more clear. They've just come right out now and said it like well, you, you just can't challenge the government narrative. And so we're in this battle, this like age old battle here that's really come to a fine point between people that are just trying to remain actually objective and report the facts in, and then coming up against the illusion of objectivity, which is the corporate media and pushing back on the narrative. So just excited to talk with you about your perspectives on that. And I thought we would we would actually start as we were briefly talking about before we started just about your background, because I, 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 I've talked about a little bit of it with you, but I'm sure the audience would love to hear it about how you got into radio and and then your kind of evolution through that. And then and then where you are now, let them know what your new stations are and where they can hear you. Sure. Yeah, I started, believe it or not, I was in law enforcement and I was just the average guy, you know, and um, 
I uh, was involved in a couple things and ended up working with the American Civil Liberties Union. And um, I was on their board of directors in the 1990s. And I felt like I had things to say. I was reading and learning. And I said, hey, you know, if there's some opportunities to speak, I'd be happy to, um, you know, to go out. And I ended up getting an opportunity to do a debate on, to debate on a conservative radio show about um the death penalty. And I did the debate. And afterwards, um, they they loved me and they asked me to come back every week. And I started coming back every week. And that was how I got introduced to radio. And I ended up um, doing a show on a small on a little tiny 100 watt radio station for like a year where I honed my skills. And then I got other opportunities. And now, you know, I have my show, a show in Pacifica in Washington, D.C., a show in Pacifica, which is 89.3 FM, a show in Los Angeles, California, which is KPFK. And of course, uh, and I have another one on Sputnik Radio, a radio Sputnik in Washington, D.C., and that's uh, 105.5. So I'm, I'm do- and I'm and I'm doing my I'm doing YouTube, but I'm in the process of converting over to Rockfin because, you know, with what's going on now, I think really it, all of us might as well move off of YouTube as, as soon as, as, as we can. To, we should all be migrating because, you know, we've got uh, disinformation governance boards and things of that nature. So I think we can right. see the writing on the wall as to what, what's what's coming. Oh, I agree. And I'd also even add that, it, you know, for those that might be trying to start a new channel, it's almost impossible at this point. It, before you could you could grow and, and fight through it, essentially, there's always been censorship, but I've never seen it this controlled today where, you know, you, you, there's just there's no breaking through. You can only the only channels that seem to grow are, you know, puppy dogs and ice cream and then specific narratives and, you know, right down the lines, you know. So it's I'm glad to hear that. And people should be going to all these new new platforms, Super U, Rockfin, what, you know, any of the ones out there fighting for free speech. But that's great to hear that you're still they're still out there, you know, making it happen because, I you know, radio is something that I think is. I'm, you know, more and more interesting to me as the more and more censorship grows, right? There's still these ways that we can connect. That's why I love the idea of my, the pirate channels that I'm doing. It reminds me of pirate radio and the idea mm-hmm. of, you know, fighting for the, the truth at times when it's never been more controlled. Well, why don't, why don't we start with the, the, the board that you brought up? Because this is, I, I, I have not looked into this very much and I've been hearing about this and I'd love to get your thoughts on this topic because it's, Talk about Orwellian. I mean, this is it's just this is the Ministry of Truth, right? So give me your thoughts on what this is and what you know about it. The Disinformation Governance Board. Well, you know, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to be positive about what's going on right now, because the statement that I've made is over the last few years, particularly with COVID, um, the first year, nobody could really break through. I'll give you credit. You just went the whole time. You went right at them. But people couldn't break through. People got intimidated. People bought back down. And after about a year, things started to turn. And by the end of COVID, I saw people around me who believed the narratives to the very heart of their soul start to question narratives that didn't make sense. And I think I believe we, all of us who were simply questioning the, the policies and whether or not they were in our best interest, we had a breakthrough. And I believe we created through... Um, Various platforms, again, Super U and Rumble and Rockfin and Odyssey and all these other platforms uh, popped up. All of these various ways that we could get our message out uh, popped up. And I think now we're in a better position to push back. And I saw the Ukraine. um, I think this is about two things. The Ukraine um, narrative weakening and Elon Musk buying Twitter Um, and the the Ukraine um, narrative 
you know, it's so absurd as they all are. And there's people pushing back and, you know, what's it been two, two months. And there are again, people who never ask questions about the, the current thing that they were supposed to support are asking questions. And I think the government's scared. And even with Elon Musk, he's the richest man in the world. And I don't have a lot of faith that he's going to turn things around, but just the thought that 1% of the stuff that they're doing on Twitter may be changed. Just 1% drives them insane. So I think um, their narratives are so brittle. And there's so many of us out here in alternative media who are having success pushing back against the narratives. That's the reason for this. And to me, in a way, in a paradoxical way, it's kind of positive. They're pushing back and fighting back because we're having some success. And that just tells me we got to keep doing what we're doing. I love it. I absolutely so glad you said that. This is something that I'm constantly trying to drill in, and I don't even know. I mean, it's certainly possible that this is that we're that I'm wrong. We're wrong that you know that that most people don't see this, but I believe that. I really believe that from COVID nineteen, one of the clearest messages we got from that is that most people, and I mean most. You could call it 50% if that makes you more comfortable, but I think most people saw through this to a degree to where they just were like, whoa, this is weird. I'm going to wait. Like, this is when I talk about the 50% or, you know, a little over 50%, the numbers we were told about vaccine uptake and how it just stalled and they yes. had to force and coerce and lie and threaten and pull jobs away. And then still it's right up at 60, 70%. I mean, what it just shows you that most people were at the very least not buying at all. And I see the same thing with Ukraine. So I agree with you. I think that we need to see that the re it's the whole darkest before the dawn analogy. Mm -hmm. This kind of stuff's happening because they're, I agree. And people don't like to see it like this, but they're afraid. I actually agree with that, that they're concerned with what people like us are doing and how we're reaching the average people in a way that's never we haven't seen in a very long time. Let's put it that way. Cause I don't want to diminish the efforts of people from a long time ago that we're breaking through as well. So I I'm just, I, I agree. And I think we need to always focus on that. You guys are the majority out there. And I really believe that. And it's just about recognizing that. So back to the, oh, if I could add one more thing yeah. to that, you know, because I do a radio, I mean, a PFW is a 50,000 watt FM station in, in Washington, DC, you know, and, 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 and KPFK. And, and so what we're told is, well, no, everybody buys into the mainstream narrative. When, I, when Ukraine first started, you know, me, I'm pushing back saying, you know, come on, guys, you're being had again. <laughs> you know, they're lying right. to you again. The whole thing's a fraud, right? Right. And the first couple weeks was, you're a Putin stooge. What's wrong with you? The blah, blah, blah. And over the last couple weeks, Really, the last month, the calls are like, yeah, we agree with you. Yeah, we're being had again. They're, they're, it's really positive to me. And the same thing in L.A. And I get emails and I missed a week because they preempted me for something in L.A. And I got all these emails. that were like, hey, what's wrong? Are you gone? Did they throw you off? I want to hear, you know, so there is a thirst out there. Mm -hmm. For people who are seeing the mainstream narrative and what you're being told by these the mainstream media are lies. And you can't just say that. And that's what I like about your show. I try to do the same thing. I have um, uh, a lot. I have a lot of articles. And I will say, look at this article. It tells you right here. Look at this article. This is from the New York Times. Look at this article from one of the papers that they tell us is the paper of record. You know, and I will put data and information out there. And I think when people hear actual data and information, to it, 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 it really strengthens your arguments, and it does change people's minds to um, to at least be critical of the mainstream narrative. Right. Well, this is the point I'm making in the title itself, right? The fact that you even have to fight to make people 
remain objective is is just a testament to how obviously we've been socially engineered like you're it, it's a there what's it's it's crazy it's a paradoxical thing you're sitting here pointing at the very tenants they pretend that they represent and they're calling you crazy for doing so it's this weird dynamic but what i think is obvious is that all we're doing all you just explained is you're saying you're not saying this is the truth you're saying here's some information that seems to counter what they're saying think for yourself and they freak out about that. And it just, it's never been more transparent to me, you know? So I, again, same, same point. I think it's a positive thing, but it, it's, it's the idea of the analogy of the cornered animal. I think we've even discussed this in the past, right? Yes. They're, they're not just going to go up. Oh, you got me. <laughs> you know, they're going to lash out even more until the last possible second. So it could even end up being even worse than this, but I just argue that it's better as always to fight for change and to continue to do what you think is right, even if the consequences continue to compound. You know, it's we're in a battle for everything right now, a battle for all lives, a battle for the human race. I mean, that may get a little too abstract for some people, but I believe that, you know, yeah. the, the great reset and everything else. Maybe we can touch on that. Actually, before we go any further, I do want I want to get into the disinformation governance board further. Yeah. But I'd actually, since you brought it up, I'm interested in your take on on the whole Twitter thing, because as much as I keep trying to. I think this is more of this is more of a manipulation, but the more it progresses, I'm like, this is increasingly becoming an like a more important topic than I think, you know, like, so what are your thoughts on how that might go, whether Elon is legitimate or whether he can even possibly do any changes or, you know, give me your thoughts on that. How do you think well, that's going to end up? Sure. A couple of things. Uh, you know, look, Elon Musk is the richest man in the world and we, you're sadly mistaken if you're looking for that guy to be your savior. However, there's, you know, let's not forget there are, and, and, and sometimes we can take advantage of this, there are fights and various factions within the ruling elite that disagree and argue. And right. when the ruling elite, fa various factions kind of fight and argue, sometimes we can take advantage of those arguments and disagreements. Right. I think Musk um, represents maybe a, a bit of a libertarian wing of the ruling elite faction. And some of those are concerned with some things. Now, you know, he's going to go along with coups and various things like that. We've seen his history. But again, right now they want the people in charge. They want 100% of the story and the narrative because their narrative is so brittle. And you see it. I, you know, I watch your stuff. It's so easily debunked oftentimes. It's never seen it like this. It's simply debunked with their own articles and their own data, right? Right, right. So they've got to maintain a tight control. If he just says, we're not going to do bots anymore. If he just says, we're not going to do these algorithms anymore, it's like a house of cards. Mm -hmm. The whole thing falls. So I think they're afraid that if he does, like, he doesn't have to fix the whole thing. If he should accidentally pull one of the pillars of their misinformation um, castle out, the whole thing falls apart. So they are, I think, in a way, they're right being afraid of him mm -hmm. in that he may accidentally just one of the things that he doesn't like just the algorithms and he says you know what i'm just going to let the algorithms go where they may and whoever tweets the tweets will go. and they don't they, so now they can't control the trending tweets and things like that and people start to see hey wait a minute people really are tweeting against biden or against you know the right. shots or whatever it is that's actually trending instead of the false trends that we're getting so i think that's what it is they're afraid that this guy's going to accidentally do one thing that reveals the entire scam and that yanks the rug out from under him and the whole thing falls apart again it, it, their lies are so brittle and easily debunked and that's why they're in such trouble and that's why this this information board is there 
Mm-hmm. And, and the the woman's running is totally nuts. I mean, you know, it's funny. They name it the Disinformation Governance Board. And it really is what they say it is. It's all about governing disinformation, the disinformation that they put out, the disinformation that they argue. It's about controlling. And more than anything, it's about protecting that from the truth. So here's what I would say. The Disinformation Governance Board's job is to protect government disinformation from the truth. Yeah, it's really interesting you point that out. I didn't think about that. I mean, words have meaning. I mean, there's they have definitions. I mean, when you read that, as is if you're being honest with the way the words they're disinformation governing disinformation. So, are what do they mean by governing? Like that's not even even if you were talking about the, if they're claiming we're spreading disinformation, are they governing our disinformation? Like it's pretty transparent. They're talking about governing the flow of disinformation. It's very interesting to point that out. But before we go past that, on I, I think I, I agree on on Twitter side of it. I just think that it's it's interesting to see that people would so quickly jump into another partisan kind of thing. Like the same thing I pointed out with Trump in 2016, that him being there, whether organic or not, that's irrelevant to the point I'm making, but I have my thoughts on it, pacified what I argued were the, the largest group of people that would have pushed back against everything that then happened afterward. So that whether that was just by coincidence or not, it seemed to pacify the constitutionalists and the people that would have been screaming if it had been Obama in place. So now... It's interesting. Now, if somebody on the other side, you know, whatever they're calling that, somebody that was, you know, let's say Bill Gates stepped up and bought Twitter, the conservatives would lose their minds, right? You know that would happen. The same kind of thing would be in reverse. So it's interesting to see that they're being, I would argue, this might be a way to pacify the people that might be the most resistant to what comes next. Just a thought. But I'm concerned that it, I love your point though, because absolutely I agree that there's, there are divisions underneath the larger plan, you know, and that's what we always have to see the vying for their personal gain and so on. I just think at the end of the day, I'm worried about the artificial intelligence concept that gate that Musk has already discussed how that's a thing he wants to overcome in regard to artificial intelligence and driving. And, and he's also said, I'm going to go away from the advertising marketing part of this. So where's his revenue going to come from your data? That's where it's going to come from. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, so it concerns me. But I, anyway, I just I think that's an interesting dynamic. We'll have to see where that goes. But so what do you know about Nina J- uh, Jankowicz or how, J- how do you pronounce that? Jankowicz. She's Jankowicz. well, a couple of things. She's absolutely out of her mind for starters. There's a video that I've shared a bit where she's singing this song about disinformation. And it's like you can find it on YouTube and it's totally nuts. It's to, uh, you look at it and you're like, you can't even watch the whole thing, right? And it is, she is a partisan neocon Democrat of the highest order. You know, the think tank class Democrat, the blue no matter who, she's one mm-hmm. of them. And she is there to protect the status quo. And, um, and the other thing is, which means that she's woefully incompetent. Right. Um, there's a great book. One of the books I read called Voltaire's Bastards by a guy named John Ralston Saul. And I'm glad I read that. I would I would um, advise anybody to write it because it talks about these technocrats. She's a technocrat mm, right. and why they're so incompetent and why, you know, they live in a false reality. I've heard the saying said that, um, what is it? Neurotics build castles in the sky and psychotics live in them. And, that, and that's who these people are. They build these false realities. Right. They try to live in the false realities. And now this disinformation stuff is about protecting the false realities from those of us who A, see through it. And B, I know you read, you saw the, um, the Matt, um, what is his name? Matthias Desmet stuff about. Right. Um, Mass psychosis. Yes, yes, yes. Those yeah. of us who are in that 30% who are saying, 
you're being had. <laughs> you know, that's it. You're being had, man. Take right. a look. They've got to protect themselves from us because our voices are so powerful because all any person has to do, and particularly, and see, if you're doing radio or you're doing a video like, 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 like us, because if there's a conversation, they'll just try to talk over you, talk you down. If you see them on TV and somebody makes sense, they'll just talk over them, talk them down. They'll literally cut the, you know, they'll literally, right. you know, cut the stream, right? But when somebody's listening to the radio or watching us, they got 20 minutes, a half hour, hour, however long, where they're just sitting there watching that. They're like, well, that makes sense. Oh, well, this person has a, they've got some data. Well, they've got some information and they walk away and they can't deny what their eyes saw. Yeah. So, um, I, yeah. I, I, go ahead. No, I, I was, I'm just, I think it's a great point and I absolutely agree. I think it really is about the, this is why I talk about the repetition part of it. Like and a lot of people get mm-hmm. irritated with my show because I, I bring up the same points to reference and it's never just like, here's the same point again. I'm making a point and then I bring up the other information to bolster that point. And I constantly bring these things back up because what do they do every day on the, the same news channels? They the same thing, same thing, safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. You know, so you, you really do have to kind of like batter it back down. It's important, you know? And and so what we have here is that them trying to create that false reality and then control, as you say, and protect, govern it. And and this is what, this is, a, here's a good example, actually. Somebody sent me this this morning. This is this one on Fox News. Here's what she said. And I find this to be absolutely alarming because, first of all, we know free speech is an, is in and of itself an absolute concept. There's not yeah. kind of free speech or free speech to a point. There's either free speech or there's not. And you can argue that there shouldn't be. And that you, you can have that argument. That is fair. I would disagree with you. But the point is that there is a very clear line and that's constitutionally protected. Here's what she says for those on the podcast. I shudder to think about if free speech absolutists were taking over more platforms what that would look like for the marginalized communities all around the world, which are already shouldering so much of this abuse, disproportionate amounts of this abuse. So before I give you my thoughts on it, what do you think about that? Well, that's the um, that's the neocon game. And that's the game of the ultra liberals. And that is we're standing up for the little people. What about the marginalized people, the people of color, the trans, the whatever? Right. It is just there. Yeah, let me let me put it to you like this. Traditionally, fascism was considered the ultra-nationalist. Well, now we have seen very clearly that the ultra-liberals are just another strain of fascism. Mm -hmm. And their fascism is a do-gooder fascism. Yes, we're going to have full control of your lives. We might invade your country and bomb it, steal your resources, and kill most of the people in the country. But we're bringing you something good. They and we're standing up for the marginalized. So that's all it is. It is yeah. a just a way of whitewashing fascism, totalitarianism, and total control of everything by saying we're doing it. What the hell does this, would she, she's, uh, her conversation have to do with marginalized communities. Thank you. Exactly. That's it. Well, I, your point before I go to my thoughts, I love that what you just discussed there is, is, is what I, the, the illusion of the parties in, the, in and of themselves, right? That the, the neocons and neo and neo uh, liberals or whatever we're calling them these days, you know, they, they, the same as anything else, they come together behind it all. The extremism put, you know, it ends up being sort of the same thing. So they're both le- basically leaning into fascist ideology from either side of it while framing anybody. And this is not about the average people in the politics, right? What I think is so obvious here, and what's interesting as you're pointing out is she ties back to the neoconservative kind of side of it, but yet still pushing. Here's my thoughts. 
First of all, free speech absolutist. That's ridiculous, right? This what they what they're admitting to you right there is that they're absolutely and they, they say this anyway, that there are limits on free speech. So therefore, they don't believe in free speech. They believe in dictating what you're allowed to say and then writing out what you're not allowed to say, which can then change and fluctuate based on how they feel that day. That's that's crazy to me. So what they're telling you there is that they don't believe in free speech. But it also then goes on to say taking over more platforms, which is also hypocritical because if it was somebody they agreed with, they wouldn't care. Right. So it's just about their ideology. But what that would look like for the marginalized community. So why to your point, why does that even come into play? Why, why does the argument that what she's making pretty obviously right there is that the only people that are free speech absolutists are the white supremacy conservatives right. on this side. Right. And they are the ones that will use their free speech to attack minorities. I mean, that's blatantly what she's saying right there, which is subjective. It's insulting. And in fact, not the truth, because there's plenty of people that believe in free speech that aren't conservatives. And there's plenty of conservatives that don't use their free speech to attack minorities. So this is, in my opinion, an obviously couched argument that is about attacking free speech and using the same thing that I just can't stop seeing everywhere. Vanilla ISIS, you know, this crossover, the neo-Nazi, the fascism, that it's all Putin or it's all conservatives, it's all Trump. I just can't stop seeing it everywhere. And now this comes up and I'm like, geez, it's right there again. So what do you, what do you think about that? Let me add this. Even in the beginning, what she says, free speech absolutist. Well, that's a false reality. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm a free, I'm like a free speech. I understand that there have been Supreme Court decisions made that, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater because people could run out and hurt themselves. I under, I'm, I am in favor of free speech. An absolutist implies that I don't, except that that uh, Supreme Court decision came down. Okay, you can't say fire in a crowded theater. Fine, that's the law. That's not unreasonable to me. But here's what I'll say. That's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to yell fire in a crowded theater. We're not trying to say we want to do something that has been ruled unconstitutional. We want to do something that has already been ruled on by the Supreme Court. What she's calling free speech absolutists are people who are saying, I want a right to openly criticize the mainstream and the government narrative. That's all we want. When you say something about Ukraine, I want a right to say that's a lie, that's untrue, and submit my evidence or even without my evidence. I have a right simply to criticize it and say that I'm wrong. And the truth is, when it comes to free speech, even if you're incorrect, it's right. still protected speech. You're right. I can wrong. say something that I believe and it can be false and right. false speech is still protected. The reality that they're missing. And I want everybody to think about this. The First Amendment is about is about protecting unpopular speech. Exactly. You don't need protection to stand on the corner and say, I love America. America's great. You need right. protection to stand on the corner and say, I hate America. America's terrible, if that's what you want to say. So right. what they try to pretend is that the opposite is true. That free speech is about protecting the things that you can say that the government wants you to say. And it's just the opposite. Free speech is about protecting particularly what we're doing, which is unpopular speech. But it's not unpopular with the people. It's unpopular with the concentrated power in corporate oligarchs and in the government. Exactly. They're turning there. It's the same thing they're doing in any other situation. They're turning the people that are the, the attackers into the victims. And right. what's interesting, what's interesting here is that I love that it brought a fine point to me when you made that argument that so fire in a theater. Right. So what that argument is, is there's people that are bound by your decision, your choice, your speech next to you with the threat that you hypothetically create. Right. What, what the, What's 
inherently dishonest about their argument is so we're over here making a show. We're not forcing someone to come watch that show. <laughs> they can choose to come watch it. And you see, and so that's the obvious breakdown and they know this, right? So this is just inherently dishonest and it just all ties back into trying to paint one entity as the threat for why we can't do that without saying it, you know? And I think I just can't stop seeing this larger connection between everything that's happening, COVID-19, Ukraine, and how it's this end game sort of drive push to paint some kind of a, I mean, it, it creates the very, the next generation, the biosecurity state part of what we already are experiencing, you know? So I think free speech is a prominent and mo- it's one of the most important things we need to stand by because if we lose the ability. I mean, even right now, what we're doing is, is in some way that, that argument, but if they are stopping people from being able to find it, if they're censoring and banning and shadow banning the information, it, it's ultimately the technocratic version of the same thing. If we're in a corner shouting and nobody knows where to look. You know, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and and the thing I think the COVID, you know, over the, you know, over the course of the years, they, they realized that they were losing that battle at some point. They realized it. And that's why they had to back down. That's why when the truckers came after them and they tried to, you know, call them Nazis and white supremacists and all that kind of stuff. At the time, they actually were arming and training actual Nazis and white supremacists. They were calling working people who were standing up for their rights, Nazis and white supremacists. Imagine the contradiction there. But I think that um, now with the Ukraine thing, there are people who are saying, "What I'm paying more for gas. And this is, they have a right. I'm paying more for gas. My bills are going up. My government's not doing anything for me. Now you're asking for another $33 billion for Ukraine. I have a right to ask, how did we get here? What's this all about? Is it worth it? Is it in my best interest as a citizen? Those are questions that as a citizen you are bound. I think you have a duty as a citizen to look at your government and ask those specific questions. And those are the questions they have to shut down because these are not in our best interest. This is just another scam. When the Afghanistan scam closed down and they're like, okay, and people are like, well, yes, Joe Biden did the right thing because he left. And I'm like, I don't trust that. Because they're going to have another scam. What do you know? COVID um, craps at supposedly, you know, they're like effective February 2nd. COVID's going to be, we're not keeping the death numbers anymore, which was pretty suspicious. But at any rate, we're not going to keep the numbers anymore after Omicron came and what little death numbers we had became more obvious that they were going down. And and when that happened, it's like, well, what's the Afghanistan's out not here? Um, COVID, that's crapped out on them. What's the next scam? And they really, if you ask me, if you look at what happened in Ukraine, they instigated this thing. Oh, absolutely. For another money laundering thing. And now it's, I stand with Ukraine. Well, if I stand with Ukraine, I'm going to say, I don't want to see any Ukrainians getting killed. So let's see how we can find a diplomatic into this and save the lives of Ukrainians. They do the opposite. Here's more weapons. We want more death, more destruction, more bombs. We've got to make as much as we can off of it. It's just another big scam. And might I add one more thing about Ukraine? Mm-hmm. This is important. So Biden's asking for $33 billion for Ukraine. And last month, he asked for $13.6 billion for Ukraine. If you understand Ukraine well, it's one of the most corrupt countries on earth, if not this, the most corrupt country on earth. Absolutely. When that money hits Ukraine, it ain't going to help the Ukrainians. It's going right into the pockets of the crooks. It'll be right out to Cyprus. The Ukrainians all use the, 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 the wealthy Ukrainians use Cyprus to launder their dirty money. That, that $13 billion dollars will be in the hands of uh the crooked oligarch so fast you won't even let you won't even know it it, it it got to ukraine and if i know this and you know this 
then Joe Biden and they all know this too. That's part of the scam. Exactly. I mean, this is one of the interesting parts about this. And I just very quickly pulled up this Guardian article from 2015, where it they, they their information was saying exactly what we are saying about the same people in the same ways, like right up until the end of 2021. This is the yes. why I don't believe that people are falling for this in most cases, because how can you possibly read their work? And it says exactly the same thing. And then they come out and call us crazy for even arguing, not not even that it's today versus yesterday, just that it never existed. Azov Battalion, oh, they stopped being something in 2016. Yet they were saying they were a big international problem in 2021. It just blows my mind. I just don't even understand how they can get away with this right now. But go ahead, if you're going to comment yeah, on that. That's another thing I think, too. And that is they're having there. you know, we it, it took us a year to a year and a half to really get in the door as far as pushing back on the COVID narrative. Mm -hmm. It's been two months. And I've had people who were completely bought in the first week now saying to me, well, maybe you were right. Mel, maybe some questions. When it comes to the jab, I've had people come to me who were like pushing me, why won't you get it early that are coming to me like, well, you know, I kind of I kind of guess you were right after all. Yeah. So one of the things I think this happened, I hate to always go back to COVID, but a lot of people who looked at people like you and I and said we were just nuts and what's wrong with us and we were sure, surely going to die. When they saw that we were right in the long run, I think they're starting to look at us now and scratch their heads and say, you know, maybe these mm -hmm. guys are on to something. Maybe I should listen to them. And as um, the Ukraine scam breaks down, um, I think that bit by bit and as the economics get more obvious, and I think this, let me add one more thing. And this disinformation board, I think it's going to backfire on them. It's going to scale that scare the hell out of people. Um, I, I think by within the next couple months, we are going to really be able to make some headway. And once we are able to discredit these bastards really over and over there again, look at CNN plus within 21 days, it had to dry, it had to, it had to close. We're able to discredit these people and, and get people to start looking around for some alternative sources of information. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that, that was one of the things I highlighted on that one point. It was, it was a, you, you were seeing through the crack of the door, right? You got a glimpse. Look at, they, there's no way that they would spend that much money and then close it on their own accord. They failed. That means people did not want to see their content, and that's half the country, right? So whether we, if we want to pretend 50-50 liberal conservative, but at the end of the day, it's it shows you that they don't have the control over people's minds that they yell at us that they do, you know? And and that's what your point. I mean, these stories are breaking down in very, very quick succession, like one after another. They're falling apart. Their false flags are falling apart. And, and so people don't understand on this point that you're seeing on the screen, this is 2015. Now, we need to understand that the regime change, which is – in my opinion, around the world anyway, outside of the controlled Western media, is one of the most obvious and transparent coups, regime changes in, in history. I mean, it's, yeah. you, we have the on the record, you've got the Estonian minister speaking with the EU going, well, we, there's evidence we can see that this was U.S.-backed entities, paraphrasing, who shot people in Maidan Square. And she goes, yeah, <laughs> you know, they, it's on the record. And that's the point is that they just skip right over it. You know, and so in 2015, this was the U.S. controlled government. And they were the most corrupt nation on earth, according to the Guardian. And that didn't change. I mean, you can show the Atlantic Council talking about how the most dangerous profession in Ukraine under the U.S. government control was being a journalist. And it's just how all of this is now just kind of translated over onto only Russia. You know, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. But at the end of the day, 
I think what we need to see is that there is a larger agenda that's playing out here. Uh, we, I wanted to get your thoughts on the, what you had brought up in that point. How interesting is it that Zelensky, that, so the, the $33 billion you brought up, and, and thank you for sharing that with me, is just, it blows my mind how much money can go out from American pockets while people are, are struggling to feed their families. And that's not a high, that's not hyperbole. That's that was during COVID-19 and we're seeing all sorts of the same stuff happen. Gas prices, food, everything. And $33 billion right after Zelensky stands up and just goes, Hey, I need $7 billion every month. I, what are we seeing there? Why is that so quick to see the government? You know, here's the thing about it. It, it, it. And I think it's important to start with. Zelensky's a puppet, you know, he's nothing but a puppet. Zelensky, if people know the background on Zelensky, call this guy named Ihor Kolomoisky. I'll make this quick. Ihor Kolomoisky is one of the billionaire oligarchs, right? He also happens to be the guy who owned Barisma Holdings that Hunter Biden worked for. So he has this, um, this, uh, it's, it's called One Plus One Media. It's the largest media outlet in Ukraine. He owns it. So he comes up with this idea for a show called Servant of the People. In this show, a teacher becomes the president of the United States. He puts this, I mean, excuse me, of Ukraine. So he makes, has this show, he creates this show. He hires Zelensky. Zelensky in the show is a teacher. He becomes the president of Ukraine. And in the show, he wants Ukraine to join NATO and the EU. This show runs for two years. And then Ihor Kolomoisky creates a political party with exactly the same name, Servant of the People Party, and he runs the star of the show, Vladimir Zelensky, and he wins in a controversial, you know, he wins, and he runs as the peace president. He says, elect me, and I will end the war in Donbass, because let's face it, most people want peace, right? He gets in, and he does the opposite of everything he said he was going to do. So let's face it. It was a CIA scam operation from the beginning. It was this, this guy, or, or in my opinion, Kolomoisky, he's connected to the Bidens. He's connected to these, to the, you know, to the, to the U.S. regime. The whole thing's a scam. They come up with this show. They come up with the president. It's an accident that they happen to come up with a party with the exact the same name of the show and run the guy who's been in this show. And the people in Ukraine say, well, it seems like they really pushed that show far more than normal. The whole thing was a scam. He's an actor. And right, right now he's pretending to be president. They told him, ask for $7 billion. We got your number. They gave him that number because he doesn't do it. He doesn't go to the bathroom without the State Department telling him what to do. So my opinion is he was told to ask for $7 billion. But if you look at it, May, June, July, and August, four months, they gave him eight. They gave him over eight. So ask for seven, we'll give you eight. The, the Congress, they're in it. So they'll probably give him even more. It's a big scam. And, and, and I hate when people say things like, well, Zelensky should accept the peace process or Zelensky should do this as if he has some agency. He right. has none. He is nothing but a mask for the Biden regime. Yeah, well put. I mean, it's it's and this this is backed up by the facts, by the way, for people that are, you know, balking at these statements. I mean, this is not hard to understand. I, I just think it's incredible how transparent that is. I mean, even if you believe that's the way that went down, isn't that suspicious to anybody else? I mean, this wag the dog situation where it just literally plays out in front of you. Oh, it just so happens to be the president. I mean, it's it's just very frustrating. And we shouldn't forget that Kolomoisky is also one of the ch chief 
funders of the Azov Battalion, the Azov Movement. I mean, it just gets ridiculous to see this. By the way, he's also, I believe, was the, the head of the, or at least at one point, of the, the World Jewish Congress. He lives in Tel Aviv. Like, my point is just to recognize the obvious influence of the Israeli government in this regard. He has direct connections to the intelligence. I mean, it, it goes deeper than we realize. And it just have to, there's a larger agenda here of creating the illusion of the enemy. That's what I believe is happening here. When the CIA discussion from 1948 forward, building fascism, but let's just, we can just talk from 2014 forward to not, you know, get into the deep part of it. What, what are your thoughts on how that has been constructed around the CIA, the influence of the Azov battalion to the Azov movement, you know, and Kolomoisky, the whole thing. I mean, where do you see that playing out? Like, what are your I'm, thoughts I'm, on that? I'm with you 100%. This was a long-term operation. And clearly, I mean, you look at, there's a 2019 RAND report where they talked about how you could use Ukraine to take Russia apart. There's the 1998 right. book by Zbigniew Brzezinski, where the grand chessboard, where he talked about taking Russia apart. This is simple. Russia is loaded with resources. It's huge. And it has oil and palladium and you name it. They got it in Russia. Right. And the neocons and neoliberals want their hands on that stuff. And they want a way that they can break Russia up and that they can go in there and steal all the resources. In my opinion, why do I say that? Because that's what they said in their books and their writings. I'm simply repeating this. The problem is the Russians ain't buying into that program. And um, the Russians built a powerful military. The Russians very wisely built up a lot of ways in which they can grow their own food and build their own stuff and they create their own shoes. I mean, you name it. They, they, they built ways so that they could operate. I'll put it like this. The way this country used to be. We used to actually make stuff so that you bought stuff that was made in Illinois or made in Ohio or made in Michigan or Pennsylvania, right? That's what they've become. So we came in and we're like, okay, we'll get this war instigated and we'll use that as an excuse to for this gigantic regime of sanctions, which might I add, I will say this. It seems kind of like it was meant to take Europe out too. Those people are idiots. Allowed mm. the United States. Well, to take by the way, really quickly to add this, the Azov Battalion openly states, or rather, again, the Azov movement has openly stated their next goal will be turn around and do the same thing in Europe. That's right now. That's what they state in their documentation. <laughs> Yeah. So the U.S. is I mean, it's funny to watch it because Europe, it, one of the things I'll say this about it. I won't get too long with it, but let me say this about Take your time. One of the things that has become obvious here is that Europe has no sovereignty. Good point. No, none whatsoever, because anytime the leaders of your country are told, I want you to do something that's going to annihilate your economy and they say, we're on it. I want you to do something that's going to make prices higher. I mean, Europe is going to hell right now economically because of these sanctions to take out Russia. Were they really meant to take out? If I was in Europe, I'd be saying, well, they were meant to take out Russia. Why am I suffering? And Russia ain't doing so bad. Russia can create their own energy. Russia can grow their own food. They're going to survive. America could create their own energy. America can grow their own food. It may be hard, but America can get through it. Yeah. Not Europe. Claire they can Daly. do neither. So clear to me, from, oh, sorry, go ahead. Hey, there's a good, delay. So to me, it just seems like part of this was meant to wipe um, Europe out and to destroy their um, industry, because let's face it, they're also a threat to U.S. industry. And, you know, you know, I guess the, US, the, the Americans are like, well, if we can't take the Russians out, what the hell? We'll get rid of the Europeans. Who cares? Yeah, it's just about U.S. hegemony, right? I mean, it's really about control at the end of the day. I mean, I was making this point about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline before this all started. I, I mean, I don't know why anybody thought that was acceptable for the U.S. government to threaten or sanction 
an ally, a NATO partner, because they're doing something that's completely legal. That is that they're, I mean, you're just making a deal with somebody other than the United States in regard to energy. And they said, nope, can't allow that. And then what's the one of the biggest things that happened in regard to well, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline got shut down because, the, you know, it's, it's interesting to see. It's quite obvious, you know, that there's more of an agenda there. Um, I wanted your thoughts. I had another point there that just I just lost, but I wanted your thoughts in regard to the Great Reset part of this. You know, like so how so we just discussed how it seems that that it has worked in a lot of ways foreign policy wise and that kind of stuff. But a lot of people would argue and I, I myself am concerned about the overlap here because I do definitely see Russia kind of taking this different stance in regard to the larger agenda, at least in regard to foreign policy, or at least that's what it looks like on the surface. Or maybe they're just specifically defending the people in Donbass and Crimea, which would make sense. But what do you think about Russia's involvement with the Great Reset? you know, the World Economic Forum and and how that contrasts or works with what we're seeing in Ukraine and the U.S. agenda and the Western agenda. I think one of the reasons that the that the neocons really hate Russia and China and and and, uh, you know, think about this. You know, I had the opportunity to travel in South America and I saw, you know, they say they want socialism and what have you. Here's the model that and I've traveled all over. Okay, here's the model that they want in South America. Like, say, Venezuela, as an example, mm-hmm. they want a very uh, socialized, you know, they want lots of things like free housing and free electricity and all that kind of stuff. Right. They want all that stuff. What they want the government to do is to nationalize their resources where they got lots of oil, gold, things of that nature to sell the resources. Right. To use that money to fund the government and to fund an extensive social safety net program so they don't get taxed to bloody hell. Right. Mm-hmm. So. What does Russia do? Russia is a democratic country, right? But what does Russia do? It has some gigantic um, Rosneft, Gazprom. What do they do? Russia has nationalized the resources. It sells all of these things, whether it's titanium or you name it. But these are government companies. And it uses the money to fund their roads and infrastructure. And so the people aren't taxed to hell. It's really it's it's a different model that simply says we're not going to let Exxon Mobil and Shell come in and pump our oil and keep the money like you guys do in the U.S. This right. is whatever resources we have are the people's resources. Right. The government's going to sell them. We're going to use that money to build roads or whatever we build. And you're not going to be taxed to hell. Right. That's the and see the neocons hate that. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying it's an alternative model. And right. let me say this. We are a debtor nation. We're thirty trillion dollars in debt. And Russia's surplus nation there. They have a, a net surplus every year. I'm not saying that it's good or bad, but I'm saying that it's a different model. And that's what the neocons really hate about Russia, because what if the American people say, well, you know what? What about all that oil and gold and mining and all that stuff here? Well, why doesn't our government just sell it? And instead of taxing the hell out of us, use that to fix the roads and stuff. And I think that's a big part of the hatred of Russia. It's really a hatred of an alternative model because maybe you don't want that model. But it's if you look at the model we have that consists of um, asset backed securities and derivatives, derivatives, it's a fraud and it's falling apart and it's crashing. That's what the Great Reset is about. What they're doing is a fraud. It's a and it's 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 a casino. It's not even a casino because it's a casino isn't fixed. At least there's some chance that you'll win if you're playing blackjack. 
So they're afraid that Americans will start really questioning our model and saying, let's look at some of the other models. Let's fix this thing. So instead, they got to destroy the countries that any country that has an alternative economic model, they want to wipe that out and get us all back to neoliberalism. Then they can do, in my opinion, wipe out the economy and then say, well, you know, nobody has any money. You're all broke and you don't have any money. Right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give everybody a bank account in the Federal Reserve and we're going to put guess what? You're going to get two thousand dollars a month in digital currency. And since everybody has nothing, they'll be like, great. Yes, that's the way they introduce the digital currency. Now everybody's happy. Now we've got a digital currency. Now anything you do, if you do something they don't like, they can shut off your currency. You know, you can't do whatever. You know, that's their way to shut you down. They get the digital currency and they get total control. But that's what I think. It's they want to crash this thing as best they can so that we will be happy. We will be thankful for them to give us this so-called UBI, but it'll be the digital currency. And now they introduce it. It's Maybe really, that's a little conspiratorial, but I mean, that's no, one no. of the thoughts I have. I don't know if it's right or wrong. That's not conspiratorial at all. That's literally, this is what's so crazy about what they're calling conspiracy. It's like, it's conspiracy, but here's where they outline that plan. It's like, oh, those are think tanks. We're not going to do, you know, it's, just, it's obvious they're discussing that. But what you pointed out that's really interesting is obviously there are kind of general ideas that we need to reimagine, you know, rebuild. You can't rebuild back better or whatever else if you haven't destroyed it or if it's not destroyed. So what's really interesting to me is that you're pointing out that they want to destroy the ones that, you know, you could argue are working. And I will make a point about that. So then they can then point back to what works and then destroy that so they can rebuild it. Because they can't rebuild it if there's something over there that's working. It's a very interesting way, but ultimately they want to destroy everything. Is what it seems to sound like. But what's what, what's interesting though on the, on the Russia point? Because you know you could a fair argument would be that well why would you uh, you know Russia just does that and then they have control versus the corporations or so on right? And to your point, it's not good or bad. It's just different. Right. But it's basically are you going to allow the government to have centralized control over the funds or are you going to pretend that the corporations will do any better? I would simply argue that we shouldn't trust any government, but what yeah. happens What happens in regard to the corporation version of it, which is exactly kind of in a weird way what the World Economic Forum and their public-private partnerships are building, is this kind of outsourcing accountability where the government's like, wait, we're not doing it. It's the corporations. Well, clearly they're immersed. It's fascism. They're, they're, they're immersed with these corporations. So it's sort of an illusion. So really, as I always point out, it comes down to the centralized power of the government. Whether it's fascist, uh, you know, communism or democracy or whatever else, in any form can centralize power and do what we're seeing today. You know, so any of them. That's why I always want people to recognize it's not what the left thinks is dangerous, what the right thinks is dangerous. I think governments are dangerous. It doesn't mean all good or bad. It just means that we have to stand back and realize that we need to be on guard, be vigilant. You know, like from the signing of the Constitution forward, the, I think that within a very quick period of time, they turned it into exactly what some of them in that room wanted. Right. They wanted what we have today. And that's that's in the history, you know. So it's interesting, you know. So so where do we go from there? Like, how do you fight against this building government entity? Actually, before we go, I'm sorry, I wanted to I wanted to get your thoughts on some COVID stuff before we went okay. past that. Um, I wanted your thoughts in regard to, you know, ultimately where we see this vaccine and th wh where do you think the vaccine part of this is going to go with the information that's out there? Uh, there right now, what we're seeing is this reinitiation of people being fired for not having vaccinations, right? That's happening in the UK. It's happening in the United States now. So do you think we're going to see this transition back into the COVID argument? And is that going to take over the Western media or, you know, and how is that going to work with the Ukraine discussion? Like, where do you see that going? And then give me your thoughts kind of just, you know, generally on, on where you see the COVID narrative right now and, and the, the danger that's being the injections and so on. 
Well, number one, I think we got to keep an eye out on, you know, what side effects come about, things of that nature, because, you know, that's very concerning. I think um, the COVID, you're going to see next, you know, the midterms are in November. And what do they always say? Well, it's in the fall is when people start and it's such and such season in the fall, whatever. So I think going into the midterms, September, October is when they're really going to try to, you know, blow this thing up and scare us to death. And in, in the same way that the Bush people used to have like the orange color thing. It's terrorism alert is now orange, red, yellow, green, whatever the hell. But it seemed like it was always red. It was never green. It was always red, no matter what. We always had to be scared of terrorism. So I think the COVID alert will be come October going into the midterms will be will be red alert. And that's when they'll try to utilize that to, you know, scare the crap out of us. I do feel as though the Omicron I'll give you my honest feeling. Mm -hmm. I believe the Omicron was Mother Nature's way of saying, here's a vaccine. Everybody's going to get it. (laughs) And and you don't have a say. I I felt like that when it first came out. A lot of people got mad at me because I said I studied that these um, so-called pandemics and the average last about three years. And Mm -hmm. you're probably familiar with the law of declining virulence. And what happens is this is like a lot of us predicted that from studying history. And what happens this thing comes out for whatever, and I had it, a lot of people had it. It was somewhere between a bad cold and a bad flu when I had, and excuse me, a bad cold and a medium flu when I had it. It wasn't really all that bad. And then afterwards, you have some level of natural immunity, which of course is on, you can't talk about natural immunity. And here recently they told us we're getting ready to get hit with another wave. And it's like that wave didn't materialize because natural immunity is here. And so I feel like mother nature's way of fixing this thing has happened. They're going to try to play it in November, but I don't think they're going to have anything material to work with because I think the number, because I think mother nature has done what mother nature does when it comes to this kind of stuff, handle it. Although, I'm not so sure Mother Nature created this <laughs> this problem, but I think Mother Nature um, um, has, has 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 resolved it. And I, 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 one, the one, last thing I'll say about that is this: keep a close eye on what information comes out from these so-called bio research laboratories in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. There has been allegations and assertions. I don't know if they're true that they were working on bat coronaviruses there. And so why the hell, if you're not doing anything wrong, aren't they in Iowa? Why do they have to be in Ukraine? Why aren't they in New Jersey? If they're perfectly safe and everything you're doing, why are they hidden on the other side of the world? I don't know. I the got same it. reason they outsourced the work to Wuhan, right? <laughs> I mean, exactly. We're no longer going to do this, but we're going to do it over there in China. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's obvious to me that there's a, a level of you know, plausible deniability here. Like, well, right. we don't know what's going on over there. We're just protecting the Ukrainians, you know, it's, and that it just, it just boils over the top where it's obvious that there's far more going on in that regard. But the, the, I, I, I want to oh, make, did you know this? Okay. There's some assertions have been made. I don't know that any of this stuff is true. They claim that they have the evidence, but these, there's allegations made that they were like doing experiments on people who were, you know, psychological patients and things. I mean, that's like, hmm. Nazi kind of stuff going on. But considering the fact that they're actually funding goose stepping Nazis, eh, kind of consistent. That makes sense. Or or you (laughs) could even point if for people that are uncomfortable about the obvious Nazi connection, it's just interesting how they went ahead of this. And you know, there are literally people that are directly tied to Nazi war criminals involved here. So (laughs) Nazis not hyperbole, or or some of them are neo-Nazis. But it's not just Nazis if that makes you uncomfortable. But understand, in my opinion, this is not even 
predominantly from the Nazi side. Dr. Ishii, who, yes, the, the Japanese j- the government was working with the Nazis, yes. but Dr. Ishii, who was the scientist primarily working on the bio part of this, th- that's what he was doing, testing right. on human subjects and horrifying things where they just said, hey, come on, well, we'll use your research and bring you over to the United States because that's what happens when you fight the bad stuff you incorporate it into yourself, right? <laughs> you know, it's just, it's horrific how we continue to see this. And, and you're right. I mean, I, I'm going to continue to dig into that story because I think that there is something to it. But to, to the final point, then, I think it's interesting to point out this in regard to Omicron specifically, which ties right back into COVID and the bio labs. I don't know if you remember this part of it, but the Botswana government, when Omicron first started, this is where it actually first started. Right. Strange to me that the focus is always on South Africa, but it says the, the new virus was detected on four foreign nationals who had entered Botswana on a diplomatic mission on November 7th. So that means they had diplomatic immunity. Where'd they come from? What government were they with? Why does nobody ever, we've never found that out. So that right there, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? That they even, they said, oh, Omicron's like it's vaccine of itself or all, it, everything shifted when this happened, right? So what happened there? And I'm interested to see if there's a connection back to the bio labs and what was being worked on. And, you know, what are your thoughts? I find it to be very interesting. You know, I, I do, I'm with you. And that is, we have to be very suspicious about not just the COVID narrative, about the origins of COVID. You know, we know for a fact now that at the time, Dr. Fauci was telling us that the, it was um, crazy conspiracy, conspiracy theories to say, to, to even imply the possibility that this thing was cooked up in a lab, that he was getting emails from top scientists say, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is made in a lab. Yeah, I'm 70% sure. Yeah, I don't see how this happens in nature. Yeah. So at the same time, he's telling us there's no possible way scientists are sending him stuff saying, it kind of looks like it was made in a lab. So we know that he was intentionally deceiving us. So the question has to be, you know, why was it just af- afraid? Well, I've been working on this stuff and I can't get it, let, get it, let it get out that I was involved. Was it that there was some other plan? We don't know, but we do know that we were intentionally deceived. And I think we have a right to know why. Yeah, I can. I wholeheartedly agree. I would even take it one step further same point, but just taking even a further step back is to question whether or not that very conversation and that information was in, was essentially implanted to hide a larger point, you know, about whether, yes. like, for instance, to go back to the very beginning and recognize that the uh, China, uh, China admitted their CDC hadn't isolated this, if they ever did, when the genetic code went out. And, they, and, and the bottom line is Moderna and everybody else began the initiation of their injection production and their research before they actually had anything more than a genetic code. So are we really going to pretend like they eventually got that and went back and changed what they were doing? So the question needs to be whether or not this is even exactly what we're talking about. And somebody like Denny Rancourt, PhD, has done outstanding work on showing you, and just for want people to consider the possibility that this could have been something that was nothing more than things that were already there. Uh, and, and especially bad season of a flu that was then combined with pneumonia and anything else. And, you know, I'll be honest, I'm on the fence as I've been for a long time. But I'll tell you that the information he lays out in this very, very extensive study simply shows you that had they wanted to do that, they could have. Let me add one more thing. I got to really? go in a minute, but I have one more thing. Because I, I love this brainstorming. Since we don't know what it is, it's like it could be this, it could be that. Here's another possibility. Look, if I wanted to, if I wanted to cover something up, I would create a controversy for you to look into so that you think that you uncovered something, right? Let's just say, and I'm not saying this happened, but I'm going to throw this possibility out. Let's just say they deliberately put it out. 
right? And they didn't want you to know they deliberately put it out. So they put out just enough information to look like they were hiding a leak. Good point. So now you research the leak, you find that it appears that it was a leak, and you're, you are so caught up in looking as to whether or not they were hiding a leak that you don't look into the possibility that it was deliberate. And so eventually you're like, we got them. We, there's enough information to prove that it was a leak when really that was a false trail to send you down because it was deliberate or whatever the case may be. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, like, like, I'm with you. It's possible that this thing was um, something in nature or whatever. It's possible that it was a leak. And it's also possible that it was intention, intentional and they sent us down a false, false trail to think we were uncovering a hidden leak. Right. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, you know, I, I leave it with the point that I've said many times, and this is the QAnon discussion, right? If they get you asking the wrong questions, they really don't care what answers you find. And this is counterintelligence and so many other things, which we've seen endlessly. So, yeah. you know, it really comes down to, as always, question everything, guys. We need to continue to remain, you know, uh, vigilant is what I always say, right? I mean, the bottom line is they will deceive you in every way that they can. So thank you so much for joining me today, Garland. We should do this again. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. And I look forward. I'm going to be on Rockfin soon myself. I got to make that move, man, because they're going to toss me because we know what's coming. There's a disinformation board and, you know, we're asking questions. Excuse me. Let me end by saying this. Mm -hmm. They literally say sowing doubt is misinformation. Asking a question, doubting literally anybody can search that out, search sowing doubt, misinformation. And you'll see article after article, whether like the Russians are sowing doubt. We're supposed to have false certainty. It's absurd. Well, I got to run, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Garland. It's a pleasure. And as always, everybody out there, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Questions get asked when people have hesitancy or reluctance to get vaccinated. Did you go too quickly is the first. The answer to that is the speed was a reflection of extraordinary scientific advances and did not compromise safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. The next question is, okay, but what about the fact, is it really safe and is it really effective? Or is this something the government is trying to put over on us? Is this something the companies want to take advantage of? Well, let's take a look at what's happened over the past few months. We've had clinical trials, and thanks to the volunteers in that trial, in tens of thousands who have put themselves on the line to prove to the country and the world that these are safe and effective products. It is really bittersweet. The bitterness is the fact of what the Vice President mentioned. We still are in the middle of a very difficult situation with record numbers of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. But the sweetness is the light at the end of the tunnel, which I can tell you, as we get into January, February, March, and April, that light is going to get brighter and brighter, and the bitterness is going to be replaced by the sweetness. And we all hope, and I think this is doable, that by the time we get to several months into this year, we will have enough people protected that we can start thinking seriously about the return to normality. And that's up to all of us to step forward and get vaccinated.